Jillian Carroll and Uno Cero. What's up, Kansas City? Thanks for hanging out. It's Jillian Carroll and Uno Cero live on a Thursday night, a cold Thursday night. Well, I mean, it's going to be cold for the I next know. two more months. If it's this cold, all I want is a little bit of snow. No. I do. Why would you? No. Yes. No. Yes. People can't drive in Kansas City during the snow. They can't drive any no. time. Well, yeah, Correction. but the, it's worse in the snow. We would. Why would we want to magnify the bad driving skills that Kansas City drivers have by putting snow on the ground? Because it's Christmas. No, no. I don't I don't like the white Christmas thing. I like having clear streets because, you know, some of us have to actually go out into that. And deal with that when we're driving in our commute. So, <laughs> like uh, you're the no. only one that has to do that. Yeah, yeah, just me. I mean, just and I hate it, and I hate driving around. Like it's so like it's nice in Kansas because like the streets are clear and right, the right, streets right. are pretty good because they Downtown's actually salt their the roads. But I live on the Missouri side, and Missouri never decides to salt their roads until after the snow comes down. So, well, we know you were a Grinch. You missed the uh, station Christmas party. We know that's your. Thing. I was watching Goku. Exactly. I was trying um, to see if he was going to save the universe. Gotta quit. <laughs> and it's still pending because I haven't. Oh, I haven't finished Dragon Ball Super yet, so I don't Grinch. know if he saved the universe. We're yet. changing the show to Jillian Carroll and Grinch Zero. Um, quick Christmas movie question. I saw Spec, I think, tweeted it out, and I have to know what you guys think. Home Alone 1 or Home Alone 2? Two. 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 <laughs> two. Not even close. Two. Two. I've seen one. I was like, whack. Uh, two. Oh, that's good. Two's, no, two is the, good. It's really one good. is a good well, one was whack, but before, it's not two. Two. Before, before two. Home Alone 1 was a good, solid movie. Yeah, Funny, and then 2 came, and then 1 was just clearly outclassed by 2. And then 2 is the greatest Christmas movie ever. Uh, so it's 2 for you then as well. I, lo- I love it, right? but I also am very partial because it's my it's New York City. So I think a little bit of that is playing into it. But yes, I'm with both of you. I mean, she's got bias. But anyways, it's still, <laughs> it's still the, the greatest Christmas movie ever. Yes, I love it. And I think it's one of the best. Uh, like, it's hard when the sequel is better than the first show. You know what I mean? Which is rare. It is, but... Um, but it is. Okay, well, good. Glad we're on the same page and you're still a Grinch. She needed the, She needed to answer will. this question. She needed this for her own. Uh, she she was sitting like, mm, I wonder what they think. Home Alone 1 or 2. I no, need to have this answer. I tweeted it out this earlier today, and I was like, because there's a, a new commercial with Macaulay Culkin as a grown yes, man. Yes, it's, it's great. It's great. It's It was weird because he looks weird. so similar. But he looks so much better. Than, did you see him like five years ago? Oh, yeah. When he was strung out on drugs. That was very bad. Bad, bad news. Yeah, he's doing a lot better now. He's I know I know he's a big wrestling fan. I see him a lot of wrestling oh, okay. shows. So yeah, he's he's been getting a lot better. I, I like I like to see Macaulay Culkin actually doing something there. Well, I think I, he's got like a I think he's got like a podcast and like a website going or something where he's writing on like entertainment or something. I think I just found this out like a few weeks ago. Well, good for him. I didn't see the whole commercial. I saw a lot <laughs> of it, but I still love his second movie. And I love the first one. I just love the second one more. But jumping into our show today. Um, got a lot of fun things going on here. So previewing, we will hear from Coach J.C. Hoyt of UMKC Women's Basketball. I cannot say enough about this coach. Um, she's phenomenal. She does a lot with her players. Um, we're going to hear a little bit of her her perspective being a female Division One coach at the young age of 32 years old. Um, also, we will be joined by Tom Bogart of MLSsoccer.com. Um, he did a really great job. He's he puts out a lot of work, but he did a fantastic job of informing 
everyone of the restructure of the MLS Cup playoffs. So we're going to break that down. Here's some positives and negatives, et cetera. Um, we will also touch base. Um, we're going to probably get started with this, actually. The U.S. Women's World Cup draw. So the groups have been drawn, obviously. Um, you know, in June, over in France, the Women's World Cup will be taking place. And we're going to go through uh, the USA um which group they're in and who they're going to be competing against. So let's jump right into that. Right off the bat, Chris, what are you thinking? Um, what are you expecting from the U.S. women? Obviously a strong history, uh, very successful. But this group brings, I would say, one big challenge. What do you think? I mean, obviously Sweden. That's going to be a tough one. I just don't think, like, I look at this matchup and I look at the, the entire draw. I don't really see it. Stop hitting the mic. <laughs> Listen, I was making sure you were on. <laughs> Clumsy here. And uh, I don't really feel like there is like a, like we, we talked about this before the show. I don't really feel like there's a group of death. Correct. So first of all, let's go back and say, I'm sorry, we, USA is in group F. Yes. So it's USA, Thailand, Chile, and Sweden. And Chris, I'm with you. I do feel as if the hurdle in the group is going to be Sweden. Yeah. Um, I just, I don't feel like when I'm looking at the, at the draw there, I don't really look at it and I'm like, oh man. Gotta be sweating here. USA is gonna have a real tough road. I mean, obviously they're gonna have to play great, but right. I mean, I'm there's not, it's I'm the not World looking Cup. at it, and there's... I'm like, and I'm not like, I don't feel like there's a ton of teams that could beat them out to actually win win their group or win the entire thing in the first place. You saw what happened in the last Women's World Cup. They destroyed Japan in the final. <laughs> destroyed. They wrecked them. I mean, I was watching it, and I was just like, man, this is crazy because. I mean, we don't see that a whole lot in the Men's World Cup. Like, we saw it a little bit. I think it was, uh, it was a World Cup in 2014 when Germany and Brazil played, and Germany destroyed Brazil. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, that that was a rarity. Everybody was shocked by that. And then you look at, the like, the women, and the women have been outclassing teams for years now. Since 99, I would yeah, say. Yeah, they've been outclassing teams for years, and especially in the last few years. Right, but other teams, teams have strengthened their their teams drastic yeah yeah but like still like they 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 especially in the last especially since they've won mm-hmm. they don't lose games <laughs> did they lose a game this year i don't no. think they did 2018 2018 2018 um they were undefeated i think they played 18 games yeah and they were they're just dominating everybody so as i'm looking at it, i was like i don't like i'd be shocked if they didn't win the World Cup this year. I well, really I mean, honestly would be. It's definitely not like the attitude you have going in, right? I mean, that's not the However, attitude they should have. Right. But that's the attitude I have. Yeah. The attitude I have is I'll be shocked if they lose one game. One um, game. You know, obviously getting out of group stage is, is first and foremost what's gonna gonna be the first uh, challenge for them. Um obviously we talked about Sweden being the strongest team other than USA. Um I also expect a lot out of Canada this year. Expect France to do well hosting. Um, uh, let's see. USA played Australia at Children's Mercy Park yeah. this past summer. Mm-hmm. They looked great. Um, but, you know, definitely England um, will have a strong team. I think my top, my gosh, if I said my top three teams, I would say USA. I would say Canada. Uh It would be a battle between Germany, France, and England for my third probably. Um in Japan, I mean, it, it's it's not what it used to be. No. It used to be only, I mean, a handful of teams, and everyone else was just innocent bystanders, right? Yeah, yeah. But now I, I think it's going to be great. I think it's going to be good, good soccer, a lot of different styles. Um, 
something that I appreciate being, you know, obviously a fan of NWSL, that women that are playing in NWSL, um, you know, there's just women from all over the world coming there now. So women's soccer as a whole is just continuing to grow, and I, I'm just really looking forward to it. I just, my thing is, is I'm, I'm looking at, at the group stage or whatnot, and I'm just like, I don't really feel like there's like a real big challenger that could scare the women if they go out there and they just do what they've been doing. Like, if they lose a game, it's not going to be because the opposing team was just better than them. It'll be because they, they beat themselves. Right. You know, I mean, it's, it's like yeah. when Serena Williams plays tennis. Like, when Serena Williams loses, it's because she was just bad. You know, that's what it is. Or a mistake or yeah, whatever. Yeah, she was, she was just bad. She was making a lot of mistakes, a lot of unforced errors. That's how it is with this women's team. This women's team, if this women's team loses one game, it's going to be not because the opposing team was just better than them, which or, yeah, we see in soccer yeah. ha- happens all the time. Yeah. But it's going to be because they're, you know, they did not go out there and play very well. They turned it over a whole bunch. They couldn't sustain any good runs down the field. Things like that. You know, like that's really what's going to come down to. Like, I, I'm pretty sure a lot of people will be paying attention to this one because I think everybody that's going to be looking at it is going to be like, okay, they're shoe in to win it, especially with how they played in 2018. I mean, the fact that they were so dominant this year, I think everybody's going in with the mindset that, you know, hey, we got to get behind this team because this is going to be an easy World Cup victory for us. I think that's how America's going to look at it. I don't know if there's ever an easy World Cup victory. However, Yeah, but that's how they're going to look at it because I think the the women kind of made winning the the last World Cup look easy. Well, when you crush someone 5-2. to Yeah, Yeah, I think they they made it look really easy. It it wasn't easy, especially if you you know what goes into, especially, you know, if you know what goes into into soccer in general and scoring that many goals in one game at that with those high stakes, you know, Anybody who understands that knows that that's tough to do. Right. But they made it look easy. And so I think that it, people are going to be behind this team when they get to it because everybody's going to look at us like, this team's so good, they shouldn't be losing. And I don't think anybody is really – I think everybody will be shocked if they lose one game. Well, they're definitely uh, – I mean, the tradition is there, obviously. The history is there. Experience is there. And the roster is there. I mean, she has – Coach Jill Ellis has so many talented players to choose from. So – Obviously, we are patiently waiting for June to come around um, and and thinking positively for them. Um, let's just go ahead and go to break here. When we return, we'll hear from J.C. Hoyt. But we also want to hear um, the text line tonight is open. Protein House, eat with a purpose, 6-3. Every time, every Somebody's time. Somebody's already mad about me at my driving comment. Which is inevitably going to happen because uh, that's fine. People here are sensitive when you talk about their driving skills, even though everybody here sucks at driving. Correct. Uh, but we want to hear. We're going to break down the MLS playoff cup structure. Want to hear your thoughts on that? If you have any, also lots of movement in the Sporting Kansas City uh, roster. A lot of transactions to go through. Um, potentially, maybe some more. We want to hear your thoughts. So hit us up um, when we return. We'll hit. We will hear from J.C. Hoyt. <laughs> At least once a week, she she talks Listen. into the microphone and she doesn't turn the mic on. No, the mic was on. I bumped the volume knob. All right, lay off me. I don't think you did. I, think I did right here. Amateur hour. <laughs> it is. Listen, you and your Goku talk earlier. Hey, that was is, that was that riveting. That was riveting stuff. That was riveting stuff. Okay, mm-hmm. listen, we're trying to work here, so let's get to uh, JC Hoyt. Had a fantastic conversation with her, and then shout out to the UMKC women. Uh, big comeback win over SIU, SIUE, so Southern Illinois 
Uh, Edwardsville, big comeback win. Erica Mattingly carried the team. She is a beast. Um, huge congrats for them. They also have the Rue Classic coming up. But let's hear from her on just being a female in this sports world. Super excited to be joined here with J.C. Hoyt, head coach of UMKC Women's Basketball. Um, but first and foremost, a daughter and a player yourself and a sister, I believe, a wife, um, so many other titles. But first of all, I just want to hear um, just about J.C. growing up. So you were a standout player from the beginning. Um, who was J.C. in Hoxie, Kansas? <laughs> well, um, you know, sports have just always been such a powerful um, piece in my life. Um, I grew up a coach's kid, so my mom has coached basketball for as long as I can remember. Um, a lot of people don't really know about my dad, but my dad also coached. Um, he coached football, he coached basketball, uh, he coached track, and um, it just, you know, every single day after school, I was going to one of their practices and um, just really fell in love with um, just the the competitive side to it. Um, I'm very thankful because I was always around um, just people who were aspiring to be great and, and I saw um, really positive role models in my, especially in my mom's teams. Um, I just always had someone to look up to, you know, and so um, I really have just always been in love with basketball for as long as I can remember. Um, I, in particular, one one player had a huge impact on me. Um, I'm sure you've heard of her, Jackie Styles, uh, one of, in my opinion, the greatest women's player to ever play. Um, and I'm a little bit biased, but I first saw her play when she was um, playing against my mom, who was coaching against her. And at the time, I think I was a, a fourth or a fifth grader, and um, you know, Jackie was averaging like 40 points a game. And that was just unheard of at the time. And uh, I remember just watching her thinking, I, I want to be like that. I, there's something about her. I just really kind of became obsessed. And um, even as a, a young kid, I was spending hours and hours in the gym just wanting to have the, the impact, I guess, on other people and um, the way that Jackie did on me. So... Jackie's kind of regimen was that she would make a thousand shots a day. And so I made that commitment. Um, as a little girl, I, you know, fifth grade, sixth grade, I would spend, like I said, just hours in the gym making a thousand shots because I wanted to be like Jackie. Um, I have not had a pop since I was in fourth grade um, because, you know, someone <laughs> told me that that wasn't good for me. And I just always wanted to, I just wanted to be my best. Um, I love to compete and I, probably more importantly, hated to lose. And so whatever I felt was necessary to, you know, find success, but um, also not have to feel that, that um, feeling that comes with a loss. Um, and, and I come from a really competitive family. You know, we have to avoid board games and <laughs> things like that because it always seems to turn into, you know, some type of argument or fight because um, my whole family is just so competitive. So um, you asked me, you know, who I was before I got here. I've really just always been the same person. Um, just spent a lot of time in the gym. You know, mm -hmm. um, everything is always a competition. And I'm just so thankful for the people that I've always had in my life to look up to and um, just give me really great examples of, of who I want to be and how I want to live my life.
That is so cool and such an important piece um, to young women, but women at any age, really. And we've been talking a little bit about women making waves in professional sports. Uh, you know, obviously mm-hmm. Becky Hammond in NBA, Sarah Thomas NFL, Katie Sowers NFL. Um, what does that make you think of? Like, does that motivate you more? Like, what does that do for you as a female Division One coach right now? Absolutely, it motivates me. Um, I find so much inspiration, you know, especially in Becky Hammond, just obviously being in the in the basketball side of things. Um, it it motivates me, and it also just it it inspires me to work harder. Um, and I feel like you know they have kind of um, paved the way for people like me. And um, I just want to live up to the expectations that are placed on me here, but also always understanding that it's a bigger picture. And if there's someone that I can um, influence and impact the way that Becky has influenced me, then that's one of the greatest gifts that I could possibly have. Um, so just, it, it makes me want to work harder. I'm so proud of them and I, and I love um, following that. And um, man, it just it's, it gives so much hope to so many females, and um, I just think that's awesome. Yeah, and, and you know, the natural um, thing as a coach and a mentor is that you share that with your players. So how do you, on a daily basis, how do you be that Becky Hammond mm-hmm. or Jackie Styles for your players? Sure. I think it's um, really just in the way that I live my life on a daily basis, um, whether it's... Um, taking care of myself and handling myself with confidence because I think that confidence is something that unfortunately is is really lacking in a lot of females um, in a lot of people but especially females I think there's just a lot of pressure out there to look a certain way or um, carry yourself a certain way and so it's really important to me to to show my players um, a confident female that believes in herself and um, that is willing to Um, just stand up for things that I believe in Um, but also empowering them to do the same and uh, you know transformational leadership is something that I really study and um, just have kind of fallen in love with the idea of that so I try and um, really honestly just humble myself and um, really kind of put myself on a level playing field with my players and um, that's hard sometimes because as a coach, you want to control things. You want to, um, you know, not manipulate things, but just, um, I guess, manipulate things and, and set certain pieces up a certain way, you know, to get the results that we want. But um, if, if I'm really doing my job to help them um, become leaders themselves, then it's, it's um, kind of something in terms of just that power and control that I have to be willing to give up and um, let them just have at it and let them fail sometimes and then teach them how to have a growth mindset when they do fail. Um, so, you know, it's it's um, just something that I think it, it kind of, it, it doesn't happen all at once. It's just a, a daily process that takes place. And uh, I'll give you an example that yesterday um, I actually had my leadership council. Um, we, we have four different players on our team that we... Um, have as our leaders and um, they were nominated from their teammates so we meet once a week and um, yesterday when I met with them I said okay you're running team time tomorrow Um, you're gonna run um, practice you're gonna make sure that weights go accordingly and that our energy is where it needs to be 
um, it wasn't a long practice, but I didn't even go. I didn't even go. And um, I'll tell you, you know, I was I was tempted to look out the window sometimes and just see what they were doing. But um, I think that's really important that they understand that um, they're capable of doing that mm-hmm. type of thing, you know, and leading other people. And when um, they know that I trust them and they have that responsibility, I think it really um, requires them to step up. Mm-hmm. And just like I said, Becky makes me want to be better, you know, if, if all of a sudden they're feeling the responsibility and pressure to have a great practice and know that that uh, practice um, is going to directly impact the way that we play, um, man, that's that's a big responsibility, but I think that's something that they need to learn. Yeah, that's what it's all about, right? You know, you, Absolutely. you can't go on the court and play. You can't mm-hmm. be with them when they're studying or not studying or having a hard time in their life. So it's like just preparing them, right? Exactly. It's a exactly. mess. Oh. <laughs> so cool. It's like the beauty of coaching and mentoring. It is. It's it's yeah. a beautiful thing. It's a scary thing. It's challenging. <laughs> um, but you're right. It's just so rewarding when you see them grow in those areas. Yeah. Now, as a female in this role, uh, in really any role in regards to sports, um, whether the transition from athlete to coach, mm-hmm. um, you went through a couple different phases recruiting and then assistant coaching and coaching, um, what would you say just is a unique challenge um, from the female side of things? Um, I think just um, having the instant respect that a male would get in this field. Um, You know, women's basketball really hasn't been around that long. Um, In fact, we we did a drill that we called girls game um, a couple days ago, and I educated my players on the fact that when when we when women were first allowed to play basketball, they could only play three on three. Oh gosh! And um, our players were just like so blown away, and um, you know it really wasn't that long ago. We really haven't been able to um, do a lot of the things. Um, in a lot of a lot of areas of sports, but um, obviously my area is basketball, and um, so you know the males um, the male side of it is just that that's just the expectation that they you know have always done this, and we kind of follow suit of them, and there's a lot of truth to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, you know I think it's our job to really just progress our game and our players as fast as possible within that. Yeah, no, I love it. Um, I'm very confident that not only your your team, the women there, but women to come will be looking at you like you look at Jackie Styles and mm-hmm. Becky Hammond. And just from afar, what you're doing here is amazing. And the impact is beyond campus and it's beyond the conference even. So it's well-respected and well-appreciated. Mm-hmm. Um, how can our listeners catch you this weekend? It's a big weekend for you and Pacey. Yeah, we have a big week. So we have um, a game on... Thursday the 20th. It will be the first of two games in a a tournament that we're hosting. Um, So we have SIU Edwardsville at 4 o'clock and then on Friday we're going to have another really tough game against Louisiana Tech. Um, They're playing really well right now and um, historically just a great program. So the 20th and 21st uh, we're hosting a tournament. We'll also have um, in-state team Missouri State is going to be here we will not play them but they will also be playing in the tournament so just a lot of great basketball and um, I think it's so you know we have one of the best players um, in the region and Erica Mattingly on our team Mm -hmm. Um, I mean she just the numbers that she's putting up right now are ridiculous and so when when we're talking about um, just you know providing role models to others um, I 
can't think of a better role model for young girls to come out and watch, whether they're in high school or, or grade school or middle school. Um, she's a fun player to watch. And I know um, if I have a daughter, that's who I want my daughter to look up to, just wow. like I did Jackie Styles. So What a compliment. Great kid. <laughs> I had a chance to meet her the other a couple weeks ago, but great. Had the best things to say about you, obviously. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much. The games are at Sweeney. Yes, they are at Sweeney Rec. Yes. All right, so come check them out. That's J.C. Hoyt, UMKC Women's Basketball. Always a pleasure to hear some wisdom and knowledge from J.C. Hoyt. A big win tonight, again, as I mentioned, over SIUE. Uh, Check them out. If you're around this weekend, the Rue Classic is at the Sweeney Rec Center. When we return, we will be joined by Tom Bogert of MLSsoccer.com to talk through all of the changes of the MLS Cup playoffs for the years to come. And we are back in. Oh, I like this one. Makes me want to like bang my head or something. <laughs> I like this one. Um, I'm not sure this is head banging music. No, but this is an exciting intro. Thank you for that, Julio, because we are about to tackle um, some big news. So MLS recently announced the new playoff format for 2019. Uh, I know that I was thrilled. I know that we we discussed that we heard some kind of um, mumblings about it prior to. Um, and then it's really happening now. So we are very excited to be joined by Tom Bogert, contributor of MLSsoccer.com. Tom, are you with us? Yeah, hey, how are you? Thanks for having me. Hey, yeah, thank thanks you. for being on. Thanks for being on. Now you're in. Is are you in New York right now? Yep. All right. Well, we're thrilled that you are joining us, um, Chris and Julio, and I are all here, and we are excited to hear what you think. Um, just break down basically um, the change in format. So give us give us all you got. <laughs> all right. Yeah. So. Next season, uh, they're going to be they're going to have 14 teams make the playoffs rather than 12 of the previous years. Um, so seven in each conference. Now that the league has grown to 24 teams with FC Cincinnati joining, yeah. So it's going to be the biggest takeaway is no more two-legged series. Uh, so the aggregate's gone. Everything is knockout, and home team hosts every game. So it should be exciting. The fact that they fit it in between the October and November international breaks, I think, is uh, the best part about it. Usually with these single elimination tournaments, we see this in other sports, that men's and women's, college basketball tournaments, NFL playoffs, et cetera, et cetera. We see a lot of parity happening in those sports. And sometimes we, we feel like the teams that were the best during the regular season don't go deep into the playoffs. What do you think that parity is going to do for the MLS? Um, I think that it'll be a little bit different um, in soccer than, say, you know, a game like football that is really any given Sunday and all – the different things that can happen in one game. Um, being that the home the home field advantage in soccer is so important, and it really is for these playoffs that up until this year, like it was an anomaly that three of the four road teams advanced in the knockout round. Before that, home teams were advancing at like a 75% clip. So I think that this is going to reward regular season excellence, which at the end of the day, you get the best of both with um, regular season mattering so much and postseason still being exciting. And the single-round game, you just can't take your eyes off it. Right. It's it's going to be super exciting every time is, is, is like the knockout, right? So um, with this change, can you put place your finger on one main motivator or was it many things? Were there, was there a vote? What? How did that happen? 
I think that the main motivator was just trying to eliminate that break with the November international uh, FIFA that now that instead of when you get the momentum of the playoffs and then you have to stop for a week and a half between the conference, uh, the conference semis and the conference finals, that really takes away from everything that the playoffs have gained. So I think that that was the main reason behind the change. And again, we, we think that knockout rounds, uh, people care about more uh, the, with, the first, with the second legs for the Atlanta series with the Red Bulls and against NYCFC, for instance. Leg two really wasn't that interesting, being that it would have taken a miracle, more or less, for either the New York City FC or the Red Bulls to advance. So I think that it's just every game becomes more important. And again, most importantly, there's no break during the playoffs, which is huge. Now, obviously, you know, with them kind of it, – it, they've kind of condensed the season more now. Now the season's going to end earlier. It's going to lead to more time off for a lot of these players once the season's done. And I know that that's kind of been one of the things, like Jurgen Klinsmann kind of complained about that. What do you think that time off is going to do as far as, like, the form of the players that are out there? Uh, I don't know. I mean, if Klinsmann would have found a way to complain about MLS, no matter what. <laughs> you know, if there was a two-week break or a six-month break. So, I, you know, you got to take what he says with a grain of salt. But, honestly, the, there have been reports, I believe, Paul Tenorio, the athletic, uh, if I have that right, said that perhaps in the future that with more Southern teams coming into the league with Miami and Nashville, that maybe the league will start a little earlier than the first weekend of March. So that'll help um, with this compression of the season and the length of the off season. But as of right now, the off season isn't long enough for the teams that make that go deepest in the playoffs just because of how long the playoffs took. Uh, for instance, Atlanta played on December 8th and then they have their first game of 2019 in mid-February because the CONCACAF Champions League. The players get like six weeks off, four weeks off before they have to go back for preseason. And Greg Berhalter talked about it today when he, he declined to bring in Brad Guzan and Darlington Nagby from Atlanta United because those players just didn't get a break. You know, if, if you come in the train with the United States national team when they go to camp at the first week of January, then you, what, your offseason's two and a half, three weeks. Like these players are going to get burned out. So I think all in all, that's good. And I don't think that the length of the offseason will be a problem just because playoffs get shorter. So that means that more teams are on the same schedule. Now there's news coming out about uh, Miguel Almiron. Uh, you know, Probably he's linked to Newcastle United. It's looking like it's going to be somewhere between 30 to $40 million. Um, but it highlights a problem that I've kind of seen as far as like the transfer fees go where after, you know, the amount of money that the team invested in that player is uh, is recouped, then like a third of that money is spread between the other teams in the league, and then the team that, that, got the, uh, that transferred their player gets the other two-thirds. Uh, do you like that system of spreading the money around to the other teams out there, or do you, would you rather go about the system of once you transfer a player out, you get to keep all that cash? Yeah, I mean, obviously the latter would be much better because that's how, you know, most of, like, the European leagues work and such. And that's got to be the end goal, I'd imagine. But I understand why that rule would be in place uh, when it first happened, you know, before the league grew to where it was, to where it is now, you know, even five or eight years ago. Um, they are taking measures to change that with the homegrown rule. So with Vancouver Whitecaps sold Alfonso Davies, they get every single penny of that because he's a homegrown player. Now, Atlanta United, regardless if they have to cut up any of the transfer fees from Miguel Almero, they're still going to make away with a, a tidy profit. And that, you know, led to what they did, why they bought Ezekiel Barco. And that's why Joseph Martinez has been so successful, because no matter what, you're either keeping 
the reigning MVP of the league, or they would sell him in a couple years or whenever for a huge profit. Uh, that's that's the growth that MLS needs to take. As I'm sure everyone has said, not I'm not exactly breaking ground with that take, but uh, they, <laughs> what, the league needs to become a selling league, as the commissioner said, Don Garber, that that's how they need to fit in the ecosystem rather than trying to become the Premier League tomorrow. Right, and in the U.S., I think that he's got it. You know, he had to hit that on the head. We need the fans on board. Um, obviously, the aggregate goal and the series of um, the legs. I think for the casual soccer fan in the United States, I think that was over their heads a bit. So I'm with Don Garber on that. Um, really quickly, turning the table to Sporting Kansas City, because we are local here, obviously. Um, mm. You had a really great piece. You were able to hear from Peter Vermees. They had a, a few transactions just recently. How how do you think he did, and what do you think those will bring for Sporting? Uh, first and foremost, I think that the Kellen Rowe acquisition uh, was incredible. Um, obviously, it hurts to lose Diego Rubio, but you have to assume that Peter Vermees has to have a center forward lined up with Shelton leaving and how Rubio traded. But um, if they bring in a forward, that acquiring Kellen Rowe and getting allocation money on top of that, that is just a great deal. But with Vermees, some of his comments, it, it's, a, it's really a business. He, he talked very matter-of-factly about Eichel Parra, who is a fan favorite, reign, uh, defender of the year two years ago. Um, and he's like, yeah, he, he wants to get he wants to get a pay raise, and I don't blame him. But no player is untouchable. So if an offer comes in, we'll accept it. Um, obviously, you guys don't have backup with the Hungarian center back that was signed. So I, I think that's the most interesting uh, thing to go forward because of how great Opar is, and he deserves to get paid. And hopefully for SKC, they'll pay him. Right, and and I think you hit it on the head there again. Peter Vermees, all business, all the time. Right, everything is just matter of fact, and he does mm-hmm. his business and he does it well. So. Um, well, thank you for your time on, on the, that was a little, uh, extra knowledge that you dropped there on the sporting trade. So thank you, but, uh, love your work. We always read it here. Um, keeping track of you there. Thanks so much for joining us and talking through this. Um, if you're cool with it, we're going to bug you here pretty soon again, once, uh, CCL comes around and we'd just love to hear your insight, but we definitely appreciate you coming on with us tonight. Awesome. Yeah. Feel free to reach out anytime. Love to join. All right, cool. Thanks so much, Tom. When we return, we'll get more into Sporting Kansas City and hear about those traits. Don't go anywhere. So great to hear from Tom Bogert. Uh, Appreciate all his insight, not only on the MLS. He had a lot of Jurgen Klinsmann hate. (laughs) And I've always said this about people. You are a little bit irrational when it comes to Jurgen Klinsmann. He was trying to change the system because the system ain't working, and we have seen it ain't working. I think that's this very team, obvious. This team did not play in the World Cup this year. So I, I was all about the changes for Jurgen Klinsmann, and a lot of people weren't into it. Uh, and they blamed him for it, and he ended up getting fired, and then you know we missed, we missed the World Cup because of Bruce Arena. <laughs> yes, he's the sole reason garbage. why we missed the World he's Cup. He's garbage. Anyway, moving on, a quick shout-out to the Protein House Eat with a Purpose text line. Got a couple questions here. Um, Early prediction for Sporting Kansas City in Champions League. As we know, Sporting Kansas City won Open Cup in 2017. Therefore, we'll be playing a match. Is it February? It's February 21st. February 21st. I think it's the first match of the the, uh, Champions League for CONCACAF. They will be joined by, let's see, other teams representing the United States, Atlanta United, Houston Dynamo, uh, Sporting Kansas City, and that's it, right? 
I think it's it one other spot. Well, Atlanta qualified. So a couple of teams from MLS. Yeah. Um, obviously, you qualify by winning MLS Cup or winning Open Cup. So yeah. uh, Sporting Kansas City will play against Toluca. Uh, I think Peter Vermees will approach this game, this match, like he does every other match. Uh, he is uh, all about winning championships, all about winning um, and also just playing at the highest level. So I'm sure he's geeked over this. And it's so close to the beginning of the season that this is going to be like a perfect primer for them to get into match form when they actually start playing games in, mm-hmm. at the beginning of March. So that's going to be important for them. Like It's going to be really important for, for him to get a barometer of what guys coming off the bench are going to be able to do what, and then also for him to get this team ready for the beginning of the season. Because, you know, for him, I I, I think – when we're like weighing the importance of of trophies, um, I don't feel like the Concacaf Champions League is up there with like the like. I don't feel like it's up there. It's definitely not up there with the MLS Cup. I don't. I mean, it's nice to win it, but I don't think the fans really care so much about it because like it's not the UEFA Champions League. And I don't think. I mean, I think the U.S. Open Cup's nice because it's it, you know, they play games during the season, so it feels important. I, I don't feel like they're gonna like go in with the expectation of. This, this is like playing in the playoffs or like playing in the U.S. Open Cup. I believe that it is a massive stressor to any MLS team, and I believe that they feel pressure that they have to represent the league. You know, I mean, we've been talking about players coming to MLS from around the world, and they are – that's happening more and more because MLS, MLS is strengthening, and we need that. And so I, I don't know. I'm with – I'm in the camp that they look at this as an opportunity to prove a lot of people – not wrong per se, but just to show what MLS teams, what quality they have. I mean, you would do that though against like the European teams, correct? Because you're, you're anyway, playing, yeah. you're playing, you know, teams within North America, so right. it really isn't quite the same. But it's really their first opportunity to do so. I mean, yeah, but like it's, I mean, like to me, if like if they were playing like the Club World Cup that's going on right now, okay, my Real Madrid, <laughs> get up. about to they they destroyed the Kashima Antlers on uh, a Wednesday, and they're about to represent. They're about to go in their second straight Club World Cup final. Um, yeah, like if it'd be different if they were playing in like the Club World Cup where they got to play teams from other continents, you know, outside of North America. They got to go out there and and try their hands against teams from UEFA, teams from over in Asia. It'd be different if they were doing that. They're playing domestic teams. And Correct. I mean, obviously there's pride with, you know, going oh, yeah. out and facing teams from Mexico and whatnot because Mexico's a big rival as far as international scene goes. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I honestly, I mean, I don't think he's going to go out there and be like, hey, guys, go out and go out there and treat this like this is the playoffs. Well, I don't see him ever not treating something that uh, like this. And he's going to want them to win, win yeah, but he's exactly. not going to treat it like it's right. the end of the world they lose it. Um, so let's get back to this. We got another one that said, I want Champions League over Open Cup. I know you're not high on Open Cup, so how I do mean, you... I mean, I'm not super high. I mean, I, I like it more than the Champions League because I just don't feel like the Champions League really... I mean, if they're playing it so early in the year, like, it'd be different if it was going on during the season. And, right, right, right. Yeah, because, like, like, the UEFA Champions League takes place right during the season. Mm-hmm. And that's, like, that, like, the Champions League for UEFA is the jam. That is it. <laughs> it, yes. like, 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 it's like winning the national title in college football. Like, it's nice when you win your league. That's like winning your conference in college football. <laughs> winning the Champions League is like winning the national title because you're facing everybody else. So, but it hasn't quite felt that way here yet. It really hasn't quite felt that way. Right. So I think I think unless until we get to like raise the importance up of the Concacaf Champions League, I kind of put that below the U.S. Open Cup. 
because right. those games are important and they're happening during the season. And it's it's a way for us to kind of establish dominance within the U.S. Well, OK, you use the word there established. So getting back to before the Champions League, there's still work to be done on the Sporting Kansas City roster. Obviously, um, I would say the number one um, well, just most notable trade is going to be Diego Rubio. Correct. So Diego Rubio moves to Colorado. Sporting Kansas City acquires Kellen Rowe. And $300,000 of allocation money. Right. So a, a strong utility player. I wouldn't pin him anywhere. If I had to, I would say midfield. But he can, he's he been, he's played. I mean, he's played striker. But he's yeah. played also in the back as well. Yeah, yeah. So he's going to be all over. Um, But a strong utility player, which I don't really see being a need for sporting right now. However, he also came in with $300,000, like you just said. So I feel as if. We Sporting Kansas City has a lot of pressure to establish, obviously, their number nine. So that last season, before the season even ended, Peter Vermees was very transparent. He said, we need to find a number nine. We need to bring in a goal scorer. Um, brought in a couple guys. Obviously, Kyrie Shelton. Didn't you know how anything. I feel about that. Didn't do anything. <laughs> Just didn't get the job done. So he's gone. And then, obviously, Rubio is gone as well. Now, we did see guys like Shallowy step up. Yeah. Golden boot winner, fantastic. However, I feel, and Tom actually said this earlier too, I really still see one more trade coming in. I do see a solid, strong, actual number nine coming in. Yeah, Vermees, he alluded to that when he was talking about the move that, that they made on uh, on Tuesday. He was like, yeah, probably not done. Probably going to, you know, if we get it, if we get another guy, it's going to be a nine. Yeah. They need a goal scorer. So I'm with you on that. Uh, I just want to bring up in this instance, uh, Namath. So I think he is fantastic. I think he is creative. I think he is dangerous. I think he can find the back of the net. I don't believe that he would be a consistent goal scorer. No. And I don't think they think that because if they did, he would have played. And we would have seen him in the playoffs. They would have seen right? him more. We definitely would have seen him in the playoffs. They wouldn't have had Kyrie Shelton now. Hello. <laughs> if they had a whole lot of faith in him. Because I remember watching that game. We and both I was were like, like what like, is Where's Nimmin? Where is he? Nemo. Is he? Nemo. And I just no. watched Kyrie Shelton slip and fall on one would be goal. And <laughs> I saw him just completely whiff on another one. We should put someone else in there. And so it was frustrating to see that. And that told me that there's not a whole lot of faith in in what Nimeth is doing. And maybe Maybe he, you know, something else was going on. I know that we saw this early in the year with Seth Sinovic wasn't playing very right. many games early on. It was Lobato and Madronda who were playing ahead of him. But you know, eventually he finished the season as the as the starting um, starting left back there mm-hmm. on the back line. But I mean, it's just I don't really know how you can have confidence in Nemeth. So they got to go out there and they got to spend some cash. We said this last year; they didn't do it. I mean, they went and got Johnny, but you know, I don't think I anybody say, expected. They, I don't think they. I don't think anybody really expected Johnny to go out there and be what they needed him to be, as far as a goal scorer goes. Like he was good, but he wasn't like the. I mean, there's goal scorers, so there's there's chance and opportunity creators. Like he was, yeah. Cre- I don't like, feel like he's he that was, guy. He was more. Of he a will ch- create and create and create. Wait, I think I believe Sporting Kansas City needs somebody who's going to be up there and is going to be a fox in the box, is how Maddie Lawrence puts it. Uh, but it's just going to be a poacher. He's going to go up there and and find the back of the net. The thing is, they need a guy like a Josef Martinez. That would be great. That like, <laughs> see if you can get him. But they probably won't because they just He's they're not about going to, anywhere. They're about to move all your own for like thirty million dollars. But like, they need someone who's like who doesn't need Johnny to create for him. Right. They need right. someone who's going to be in good position. And once he gets the ball, he just takes care of it himself. Right. That's what yeah. they need. Like, 
and that, that's the thing that scares me the most about it is like they can have the good back line that they have. They can have a really awesome midfield, but and and Shaolui is awesome. He is, you know, Rockets he is awesome. Himself, yeah. But you know if if that nine spot isn't working, then all teams got to do is go and make sure that that the two guys on the outside right. don't cut in, in in into the box and get in the open lane. And really quickly in the back, uh, we're getting questions about Ike. I foresee Ike being He's here. He's going to get more money. I hope they get him more money. I don't see him leaving. No. A um, lot of transactions, a lot of movements with Sporting Kansas City. I feel as if they're all positive as long as we, as long as a number nine is found. Um, big stuff coming for them. Home opener announced they will host Philly Union. They will play at LAFC, which is cool, but then they will host Philly Union. Big weekend in Kansas City sports. Check out UMKC Women's Basketball if you can. Kansas City Mavericks back in action tomorrow. We are wishing you a very Merry Christmas because we will catch you next Thursday, which is after Christmas. Uh, Even though Grinch over here isn't going to say it, he wishes you a Merry Christmas. Okay, maybe he doesn't. Anyway, Merry Christmas, and we will catch you next week. Thanks for tuning in. Merry Christmas.